jump right into um, our, our series that we're in. I, I don't know, fourth week, something like that. Um, our series on Esther. Um, if you've missed any of the weeks where we've been talking about this story, I really do encourage you to go back on our website or on our app and, and check them out because we are just going chronologically through this story. And I believe each week just builds on the last. So um, I, I'm going to preface this message this morning by saying it, it could be a little difficult. Uh, we might drudge up some things that aren't super easy to think about and, and talk about, uh, but necessary to, and healing, and walking with the Lord. Uh, and so because of that, I would like to just open this time in prayer, if we can. So why don't we bow our heads and uh, just, just go to the Lord. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Thank you for your faithfulness to be with us, Lord, to prepare our hearts for the things that you want to say to us, Lord. That this whole process of sanctification, of being made holy, this journey that we're on, Lord, is, is both glorious and really hard at times. And we just confess that, Father. We're, we're not here to say it's just the best thing ever all the time. It's, it can be really hard, um, but you're in it. You're in all of it, Lord. And I pray right now, Jesus, that you would be in this time with us, Lord. God, we humble ourselves to your word, to the authority of your word, to the holiness of your word to the glory of your word right now. And we say, Lord, shape us, challenge us, encourage us. And in everything, Lord, cover us with your grace and point us to the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God, we give you this time, wholly and completely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick it up in Esther chapter 2. Starting in verse 21, we left off last week. Esther is now queen of Persia, all right? And then the story has this little shift, this little moment that kind of is off script from everything that's been going on up until this point, but it is so incredibly important. And it begins in verse 21. It says this, One day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, if you forget, Mordecai is Esther's adopted father, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Those poles is, a, is called a gallows. In some of your versions, it might say that, which was just that. It's a tall pole that... Um, that criminals are impaled on. And, um, and that's what happened to these two uh, attendants of the king who are plotting to assassinate Xerxes. So message sent, all right? Um, this place that Mordecai is at, this king's gate, if, if you're not familiar, it can, can sound just like that, like it's, it's an actual gate, right? But that's not what, what the king's gate is. The king's gate is an, is an open courtyard type place where the politics and the, and the rulings and the decisions of the day are being made, okay? And this is what I love about Mordecai, is Mordecai isn't just a character in the story. He's, he's in the story. He is invested in what is going on in Persia. He's not just some Jew in exile going, well, I guess this is my lot in life. And I'm just going to live it out until I die. No, he is, he is involved in what is going on. His ear is to the ground. If we go back to last week, you remember we talked about how Mordecai was pacing the outside of the harem, trying to figure out what was going on with Esther. And here we see him at the king's gate, and he's not just standing there idly, just passing time. He is listening to what is going on. And when he hears what is going on, 
He takes action to what is going on. What is going on here is there's two guys that want to kill the king. And as we see Mordecai engage in this, what we find is him saving the king's life. He hears the news. He tells Esther so that Esther will tell the king so that the king will know that there's two guys trying to kill him. And the question that I ask myself when I read this is why? Why would Mordecai do this? Everything that we've read about the king so far is that he's not really the best king. What we, what we read first is that he throws himself 887 days worth of banquets in his honor. And then he banishes the queen because she won't come into the, this room with a bunch of drunk guys naked. And so he says, you're out of here. Then he throws this disgusting bachelor on, bachelor on steroids, whatever, uh, like we talked about last week, where all these young virgins throughout Persia come and they spend the night with him and he dismisses those he doesn't like. And that's how he picks the next queen. Kind of a dirty guy. Why? Would Mordecai do this? And on top of that, it, we, we can't imagine that he's for the Jews because what has Mordecai told Esther? Don't tell anybody that you're Jewish, even as queen. So everything says, hey, Mordecai, just, just forget you heard all about it. I'm going to stay out of this one, right? I'm just going to let this one go. And maybe, just maybe, the next king will be better than this one. Maybe the Jews will be freed or will get some rights. Or, or at best, uh, Esther is sent packing and we can go back home and we can be a family again. All those things could have been going through Mordecai's brain, right? All the possibilities. But he doesn't just let it go. He reports what's going on to Esther and Esther to the king. Why would he do that? Well, First Peter speaks to this point. In chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, It is God's will, this is God's will, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. So why does Mordecai do this? Because he is living an honorable life. And to just let a murder go without doing anything would not be honorable. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about how we deal with the people in our lives who are not our biggest fans. The people in our lives who are thorns in our sides. And who cause us heartache and hurt. In all sorts of sleepless nights, in anger, in bitterness, in tears. How do we treat... And, and here's the thing about these people. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if I did, and I said, how many of these people, as you're hearing me talk about this right now, are people that are actually close to you in your life or were at one time? I'm not talking about people that you see on the news or cross you in the street or have a bumper sticker on their car that you don't like. I'm talking about the people that are near and dear to you or were at one point family members best friends, ex-husbands, ex-wives, these people. How do we deal with people that hurt us in our lives? Because these people in these situations can be the most gut-wrenching things that we go through in our life. Forget about in our walk with Jesus, just in our life alone. How do we deal? Do we just let the news go and say, I'm staying out of this one, I'm going to watch I'm going to watch this car wreck happen right in front of me. And maybe I'll even gloat about it. 
Or am I going to say something and stop the wreck from happening? What do we do? Because in 1 Peter, it says, if we live honorable lives, that will silence the people. And the word that we read here in 1 Peter says ignorant people. And well, I don't believe the Bible's talking about just stupid people. I'm ta- I think it's talking about people who don't understand what you've gone through, who don't understand your side of things, who don't know your story and your past. So there's an attack without any understanding or without an attempt to understand. What do we do? It's not a juicy answer. It's to live honorable lives. Wah, 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 right? It's not, it's not that fun, right? It's not that fun. Listen, I'm going to tell y'all something. And, and the sooner that you can just wrap your arms around this and embrace it and say, okay, this is the truth. This is, this is it right here. The high road is no fun. It is not a fun road to drive on. All right, it is I tend to Tallahassee on a loop over and over and over again where there's no exits, there's no signs, there's nothing. You're like, dear God, am I ever going to get there? That's the high road. It's not winning an argument, right? It's not taking that juicy morsel of gossip and telling everybody about that person to make you feel better in that moment because of the things that they have said to you. That's not the high road. And it certainly, it certainly is not fighting your battles on social media. That is not the high road, all right? That's swamp driving, all right? Listen, I'm, I, I got off social media, I don't know, it was a year and a half, two years ago, and, and I would love to come up here and say, I got off social media so that I could spend more time in the Word of God, right? And that I could watch sermons on YouTube, and I could, because I had this hunger for more of the Lord in me, right? That would be the, the great answer to give as to why I got off social. You know why I got off? Because I was a huge jerk when I got on. I was the most judgmental, sarcastic person. I would just scan, idiot, stupid, hate him, dork, loser. You know, just, I don't know, just 10 minutes goes by and all I've done is hate the people on there that I never talked to in my life. And so I was like, I gotta stop. I've got to stop. I gotta get off of this thing. And And so it was done. It was done in that moment because I was certainly not on the high road. By going on there. And, and did, I, did I necessarily, you know, voice those things? No. But it was in my heart, which, by the way, is the thing that the Lord is most concerned with in our lives. So whether you say it out loud or not, he sees and knows. And so I had, to, I had to get off. Have I missed some pictures that people have posted about their life? Yes, I have. Have I survived? I'm here to tell you, praise God, I have. <laughs> All right. And I'm just going to say this until, you know, and the elders might fire me for whatever. It's cool. I believe if you have any inkling of a problem with social media, get off of it and not for a season. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Life will go on. All right. You'll come up out of the out of the darkness and "Ah, it's the light again, you know, in your heart. Towards those people, maybe, maybe you won't forgive them, but at least you'll forget about them for a little bit. And that's, that's a good start. That is a very good start. 
Listen, God is way more concerned with our obedience to him than, he, than, than our fulfilling some vengeance on someone, than correcting someone, than seeing them get theirs. He is after our heart. He is after my heart. And then once he has my heart, then he can start working in me. And he can start working in you. But if our heart is always towards the people that offend us and hurt us, God's over here going, hello, what about me? And we're putting our hearts and and all of our attention on the people that don't like us. How backwards thinking is that? It makes no sense when God is saying, I'm here and I love you. I got good things for you. Stop dwelling on those things. Remember me? Remember me? Live your honorable life. And that'll silence all those people. Think about Jesus for a second, y'all. And not just when he was crucified, but his whole ministry. People were mocking him. They were turning away from him. And then he goes on the cross. They're spitting at him. They're making fun of him, even while he's hanging on the cross. And he just continues to live his honorable life. And not only does he silence his critics, but he saves an entire kingdom in the process. I believe that if we take that same approach, if we are, live honorable lives and just shut our mouths and just shut off our phones to those people that hurt us over and over and we pursue the Lord, then we also are going to be like Jesus. And people are going to see us. They're not going to be able to argue in our faith and they're going to come to Jesus. And we won't have to worry about putting on the spectacle of a production and, and all this and that and the other. They're just going to say, hey, what do they got? I want it too. But we have to live those honorable lives. We have to really check our heart and check what our words are saying. Check what we're writing. Check what we're gossiping about. And live these honorable lives. It's amazing in here, if you don't notice, I just want to mention this real quickly. Esther has this moment. We talked last week about how Esther is humble and teachable and strong and courageous. She has this moment in here where she can win huge points with the king. She has just gotten word that there is an assassination attempt on his life. She could go to the king and say, hey, king, hey, husband, um, I heard that there's an assassination attempt on your life, and I just want to let you know, I got your back. Wow, thank you, Esther. Thank you so much. Points, right? Which I would imagine she wants to score with him because of how he treated his former queen, but she doesn't. She says, yeah, Mordecai told me. I'm going to give him credit. That is some honorable living right there. She could take it all for herself. She says, no, no, no. That was all Mordecai. So, reward time, right? Mordecai has lived honorably. He's told the king that someone's trying to kill him. All right, Lord, I was honorable. I'm ready for my reward now. I mean, this king, he, he likes to throw a banquet. Maybe he can just throw a banquet in my honor, right? Give me a promotion. Give me, you know, give me a, a company car, something like that, whatever it might be. I'm ready for my reward because I lived honorably. But in this story, and in many of our stories, it, there's no reward. It actually gets worse. And we get so caught up in the fact that we've done something right that we can't possibly understand how things could get worse. But for Mordecai, it does. In chapter 3, verse 1. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman 
son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. Let me just pause really quickly right here and say there is a big difference between stopping a murder and not bowing the knee to evil. Okay? just want to say that out there. There is a big difference. There is a big difference between not allowing a murder to take place but also refusing to bow to evil. Okay, keep going. Leave that one alone. Um, so here's the thing about Haman, and, and this goes back to all the, all the way to Exodus chapter 1. Haman is an Agagite. His people from generation to generation have been taught to hate the Jews. And I mean hate the Jews. And if you read in Exodus chapter 17, there's a story that takes place where the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites. And, and Moses, if, if you, you might know this one, um, his, he realizes as his arms are raised, the Israelites are winning. And as his arms fall, the Israelites lose. And so he gets Aaron and Hur to prop up his arms because he can't hold them up very long. And they win. They win the battle. And then it says this in verse 14. It says, after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. Okay, so here's, here's what we need to know about Haman that makes this story in this moment of him getting promoted to the second most powerful person in all of Persia. Haman is the villain. All right? He is the villain of all villains. He, of probably everyone in all of Persia, hates the Jews the most. So, this makes no sense. Mordecai has just honored God by stopping this murder of a king that he's probably not too fond of. No reward. The only thing that happens is his name is written down in the book of annals of the king. It's like this, his, his captain's log, right? And so that's it. And then some time passes, and who gets promoted? Mordecai saves the king's life. The villain of all villain gets promoted. That's not fair, right? That's not fair, God. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I've tried to do everything right. I tried to honor this king. I talked about, you know, I, I reported the murder. I've done all these things. I've protected Esther. I've told her what to do. She's done it. And now you're telling me this guy gets promoted? Are you serious? This villain that hates us? What are we doing here? We're already in exile in this, in this land that doesn't worship you. Now you're going to put the second most powerful man you're going to put as the villain there? This doesn't make any sense. Don't raise your hand. Does this sound familiar in your life? You're like, oh, God, I want to raise it so bad. It is hard. It is hard, hard, hard. When we are taking the high road and we just see people zipping past us. And the nicest cars, right? Windows down, a little thing in their ear, talking or whatever, you know. Jesse won't let me get them. 
something about like, I don't know, cancer it causes in your ear. Just throwing that out there. Um, um, it's so hard to see these people pass us by when we are doing everything we can to stay on that high road and all we do is feel like we're getting lapped. We're just getting lapped. And not only that, but as they zip by, they're yelling, they're making fun of us and talking about us and calling us names. And that thorn in our side of these people, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And all we want to say is, God, this isn't fair. And we might even get to the point where we say, I'm done. I'm getting on that road. I'm tired of the high road. And you know, maybe it's not a person in your life that's that thorn. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you've been taking the high road and it's whatever it is in your life. And you're saying, God, it's not fair. Here's what we need to understand. And we're going to see this later in this story. God's timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. And listen, Law, listen. When no one else notices, God notices. When no one else sees, God sees. And so we have to ask, are we more interested in, in an audience of man or an audience of one? Who's going to do more for us? Maybe in this moment, in this very moment, the audience of man sounds real good. It sounds real tempting. But the audience of God, that's eternal. That's forever. There's safety on the high road. There's protection on the high road. There's intimacy with the Lord on the high road. Will we stay on it? Will we stay on it? From Jeremiah 12, um, I read this. I have to say, I kind of laughed when I read it. Not because I thought it was funny, like, ha-ha funny. It was just like, wow, thank you, Jesus, for verses like these. I want to read it to you all. Jeremiah 12, starting in verse 1. Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you. So let me bring this complaint. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? You have planted them and they have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. But as for me, Lord, you know my heart. You see me and test my thoughts. <laughs> Drag these people away like sheep to be butchered. Set them aside to be slaughtered. Let's go, Jeremiah. Come on now. Preach, brother. Preach. Why are they so happy? Misery, Lord. No, no, no. I love them. I love them. In my heart, I'm going, I want that. As they go zipping by, just wrap their car around a pole just once. They don't have to get hurt. Just ruin their car. Right? Why do they have to be so happy? Hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're putzing on I-10 still. Can't get to Tallahassee. Why are they so happy? Why, Lord? <laughs> Send them away to the butcher. Wow, that's crazy. I was listening to a sermon by uh, Tim Keller the other day, and he was talking about Job. And he was saying, you know, Job said a lot of crazy prayers to God in his time. If you don't know the story, I mean, everything was taken from Job. Everything, his health, his family, his wealth, all of it. And 
and he questions God, and he gets, you know, all this stuff, and his friends are of no help of anything. They're the opposite. And by the end of the story, God tells the friends, he's like, I smite them. They need to be more like Job. And you think, well, why? And his point was that Job continued to pray these prayers to God. He didn't pray them to other people. He didn't talk about it in gossip circles. He went to the Lord like Jeremiah does here. And he says, why? Why? And as long as we are continuing to pray to the Lord, the devil loses. If we continue to go to him and we continue to give him our heart, the devil loses. Because what the devil wants is our relationship with the Lord to be cut off completely. To where life is so hard and these people around us are so much happier than we are that we say, I quit, God. I'm going to go talk to everyone else about this and I'm cutting you off. I'm done with you. I'm off the high road. I'm joining them. Devil wins. But if we stay on the high road, white-knuckling our steering wheel, saying, God, why are they so happy? God, I am angry. God, I don't get it. God, this isn't fair. And we go to him over and over, the devil loses. But we have to go to him. And I want to encourage those that are sitting here going, man, this is for me this morning. I want to encourage you to do something. This week, pray like Jeremiah. Not necessarily ask God to, you know, go slaughter them like sheep. But, I mean, do what you got to do, right? But be honest with him. Be honest in, in the depths of your soul, those things that you almost feel like you're not allowed to say to God. Like, if I say this, then I must not be in faith, right? Or if I say this, I'm not really a good Christian. Or if I say this, then, then maybe I don't love God as much as I thought I did, or I trusted him as much as I thought I did. Say it. Say those things. Get them out of your heart and give them to the Lord. And if it doesn't, if it's not enough on Monday, do it on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. But keep being honest with the Lord. Keep the conversation going because as long as you do, the devil loses and God will move in your heart. But you have got to stop. All of us, sorry, this, trust me, this is me. This is for me. We have, we have got to stop telling everybody else and not telling the Lord. We've got to stop showing up on Sundays, pretending that everything's okay, and during the week, we are a wreck. And all we keep saying over and over is, yeah, that was a great church, but life's not fair for me. That's great for everybody else. And all of a sudden, we just start veering off the high road. And we find ourselves on a different road, apart from the Lord. And we're not even talking to him anymore. He wants those conversations. I'm telling you all right now, God can handle it. He can handle it. He wants it. He knows who he is. He knows his plans. He knows that they will work. He is confident in himself. He wants you to come to him because his greatest concern is our heart. And if we don't go to him, he can't work on our heart. But if we do, and we allow him to work, and suddenly whether those people in our lives or those situations in our lives don't change, won't matter anymore. Because we're so consumed with who God is in our life that we don't care anymore. And you know what's crazy? What actually might happen? Our heart will turn towards those people and we'll actually start praying for them. And we'll start to empathize for them and cry out to God for them. How crazy is that? That's something only the Lord can do. You can try it on your own and it might last a day. It might last a minute. And the next day comes like, nope, I tried. Try, Lord, wasn't for me. It's 
for everybody else. If, if this is something that you are struggling with, I want you to circle, print out, memorize these next verse. Psalms 37, 1 through 7. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Here it is. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord, and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. This is it. This is our instruction manual. We wait on the Lord, we trust in the Lord, and we are still in the presence of the Lord. And we let him fight our battles for us. We trust in the Lord. God's timing is perfect. And I promise y'all, I promise you, he sees you. He sees you, and it might not look fair in this moment. It might look like everybody else is winning at life, and you're getting passed by on that high road. But God sees. He sees. He sees your heart. And that's what he's after. And if we can just be open to that, he will do a mighty work in us. And he will heal those wounds that other people created in our lives. We have to live honorably. We have to let go of the gossip. We have to let go of the arguments. We have to let go of the social media posts and whatever else it might be. And say, God, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be still. And I'm going to trust that when no one else sees, you see. I have the band come back up and we're going to close with some worship this morning. And I just want to encourage you if you are holding on to those hurts, I, I, I'd be lying if I said, maybe, I mean, God can do it, absolutely. He can, he can rid you of those hurts right now. But it could, be a very, it could be a process as well. But begin today. Begin in this moment. If you have to kneel at your seat, if you have to come up at the altar, if you just have to go to the back of the room, wherever it is, and just be honest with the Lord. And if you have to sound a lot like Jeremiah, say, God, why are they so happy and I'm miserable when I'm trying to do everything right? Say those things to him. Give him your hurts. When we stand up, I'm going to read this last verse. It's in Mark 15. It's not, it's, not in, um, it's not in your notes. Mark 15, verse 33 through 39. It says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said. Let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. So here we see even on the cross being mocked. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathes his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. Up until his last breath, Jesus lived an honorable life. They were mocking him until he took his last breath. I mean, he had every moment up until the very last to put people in their place, to win the argument, to do whatever literally he wanted to do. And he was still, he was silent, he was honorable. And the result of that is a Roman guard who didn't have a single conversation with him, standing at the foot of the cross, looks up at him and says, that's the son of God because he lived an honorable life. That is to be our witness. That is to be our testimony. When life isn't fair, when we're trying as hard as we can and we think we're doing everything right and life doesn't reward us the way that we think it's supposed to and we continue on the high road, we continue to press into God, I'm telling y'all right now, people will notice. A Roman guard noticed. A Roman guard. I know the hurts are real. I know they're deep. Some of them might be lifelong. But God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. And he can do it. But we have to be honest in our prayers. And we have to turn our affection and our sights and our eyes on him. Not the people around us that are doing the hurting. Because the truth is, you know, in Jesus' name, we want them to change, right? But there's no guarantee. But God can change us. And he can change how we talk about them and how we pray for them. So we're going to sing this last song. And if that's you, just get with the Lord. Be honest with him. Be honest with him. Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that Jesus' honorable life was not just an example. It was the truth lived out that you see us and that we never have to ask the question, God, where are you? Because you were on the cross for us and you're in heaven now. All for us. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. You don't turn a blind eye to us. You see it all, Lord. And God, for those that are hurting today, who have been saying a lot lately that this just isn't fair, it's not fair, God, that you would give them strength and you would wrap them in your arms of love and of grace and say, I see you. You are my daughter and you are my son. I see you and I love you and I died for you. And I've got you. Just keep going. Keep going. My timing is perfect in all of this. Father, we give you these hurts, Lord, and tomorrow we're going to give them to you again, the next day again and again. And I just speak right now healing, healing in Jesus' name over those that are hurting from a broken relationship, from a bad report, from children who are not walking with you. God, that are saying it's just not fair. God, be with them even now. And I pray, Lord, that you would heal them in Jesus' name. 
Help us to live honorable lives, Lord. Help us to be the example. Thank you, Lord. God, we love you. We worship you now, and we turn these things over to you. As we sing this song, Lord, we turn them over to you. We release them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's worship.